got my jumper on. I'm ready to jump to the word. <laughs> Are you guys ready for First Samuel? So good. It's awesome. Um, a little thing to take note of, start praying about. February 26th, I believe, which is in like two weeks. That's a very special day because that's the day that my Noah comes home. <gasps> Woohoo! What day is that? A Wednesday. <laughs> um, but it's also going to be when we start our 40 days of prayer and fasting. It starts that day. So there's going to be announcements that, you know, come, uh, you know, this weekend, start getting prepared. There's even a prayer walk that is um, going to be taking place, which is super, super cool, where they're literally going to be taking, um, you can sign up, you'll get more information. I just want to put this out there. You guys get the inside scoop because we're, you know, in all these meetings about it. Um, but we're, uh, oh, okay, so start praying about what the Lord would have you fast, because a fast can look like many different things, right? Um, so what, Lord, what would you have me fast for these 40 days, um, you know, leading up uh, to, I think, Easter? Um, and then uh, the prayer walk, what they're going to be doing simultaneously is all the way from the one tip of California up the coastline to, you know, the top, uh, literally taking different sections um, that different churches from different denominations will be taking the entire state of California because you guys have been with me. And Joshua said, every place that the sole of your foot touches, I have given to you. And we are going to claim California for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Um, so my family already signed up um, for um, a segment. Um, and, and, you know, it's like a one mile or up to three miles um, that you, you know, go, this is the territory. And within that 40 days, um, my family will walk that section. So I want um, my girls to definitely be taking sections and um, prayer walking California. And it's the, the old King's Highway that goes all the way up. And basically missionaries came and um, put missions all along to bring the gospel and the, the message of the kingdom to California. And um, it's going up that trail. So um, a group of intercessors did it 25 years ago. I knew actually one of the guys who did it. He went to be with the Lord recently, but um, who they just one team literally walked the 800 miles. This one, you will take a one to three mile section. <laughs> and, um, you know, so anyway, um, get ready and excited um, and thinking about that. We'll give you more information. How many of you guys heard Ann Graham Lotz this weekend? Amazing. I was there at Second Service and um, watching people come into the kingdom and her talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, it was just very, very, um, uh, it was, we, you know, privileged to be able and honored to have her come. And did you hear that she counts Maranatha Chapel as her home church? Yeah. So her pastor is your pastor, which is really cool, which is my pastor. So, um, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. I thank you for fellowship, Lord. Um, I can just feel like I'm with family instantly in this room. And all of us have the same heart, Lord, um, to 
to come and hear from you, um, to, to be encouraged by you, to be challenged by your word, to be changed, Lord, um, more and more into your image and into your likeness, Lord. Um, you had me pray this morning that um, the truth um, sets us free, but, but really the, the word was the truth makes us free, and it's an ongoing active word. Um, it makes us free. So it's not just by hearing it. Um, you know, that, that's how faith comes. We, faith comes by hearing the word of God, and we're going to hear your, you know, we're going through your message and your word, but um, it's as we um, activate it, Lord, um, by your spirit living in us, um, that we, we become doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Um, so I pray that all of us would be face-to-face with truth. We would be corrected. We would come into um, a greater alignment um, with who you have made us to be. And because of that, we would literally, radically be transformed. We would be changed. We would be made new in um, the renewing of our mind. It, it starts with our thoughts, Lord God. How we, um, you know, engage you um, moment by moment, every single day. How we think about ourselves according to what you say in your word. How we um, relate to people around us, Lord. Um, it's all about relationship. First with you, then rightly thinking about ourselves because of who you say we are in the word, and then with those around us in relationship um, that literally transforms us. It sanctifies us. It makes us holy, which makes us actually happy because it makes us more like our papa, who is um, the king of kings and lord of lords. So um, ignite your message, table time, um, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so we are, okay, we're continuing our story through the whole word of God, right? Um, And again, if you haven't been with us, we started in Genesis and all the messages are archived. So um, if you go to Maranatha Women, Dot org. It takes you straight to our site, and you can you can go through Genesis um, and then you know all the way to First Samuel with us where we're at right now. But we our plan is to go through the word, the whole word of God, looking at these big major themes that God is putting in His word. Um, you know, uh, my brother. I don't know if I said this. I think it was last week, but he's like, so you guys like you can in the word of God either be like in you know the the valley and the crevices of the Grand Canyon and looking at every little nook and cranny and aspect, but you guys are like in a helicopter soaring over. Over the entire thing. And I said, yes, that's kind of what we're doing in this Bible study. Um, so uh, we, we finished Ruth last week, and it was funny. I slept in this morning and totally was dreaming that I was preaching Ruth in my dream. Like I could tell, it was, so I'm still in Ruth in my head. Um, it was really awesome. This woman was getting totally ministered to. She was crying in my dream about like all the representatives and the story of, of our Redeemer. And, you know, so anyway, that was my dream. Uh, and so that was last week. And we are seeing, listen, that the Bible consists of 66 separate books penned by over 40 different authors, okay, written over a time period of several thousand years that literally flow together seamlessly. They are an integrated message. And it proves that God, who is 
outside of our dimension of time. He's outside of our, our space dimension is the one who authored it. He wrote it, literally. God, the king of the universe, who spans it in his right hand, he is the one who has written this book for us to know him, to understand him, to see his redemptive plan. In the Old Testament, we're seeing the formation and this account of a nation. Remember, it kind of, you start all the way with Adam and Eve, yes, then we go forward though. Then he picks out one man, right? Who was that man? Abraham, right? And he makes a covenant with him. And then there's this whole plan. We've been following this story. So we're seeing this nation, Israel, God's chosen people, um, and then a specific land, which also is very important on the front page of the news right now with the peace deal of the you know century, Trump is calling it. And we are watching that very closely and seeing what God is doing because the prophetic time clock on the wall is literally looking at Israel and seeing what God is doing with Israel. So we're watching literally ancient prophecies come true before our very eyes. And we are the most privileged generation, I believe, because I believe we're going to see the return of Jesus Christ um, the second time. Um, so yeah, that should get you very excited. Um, so, okay. Then we come into the new Testament and it tells us the account of the creator of the world who literally becomes a man, Yeshua, Jesus, the promised Messiah. He dies on a cross for our sins. He rises again so that we might be reconciled. And that big word just means made right in our relationship with the Lord God, no longer separated from him because of our sin. And that's the central theme in all of history, the main theme of the Bible, to know him, to love him, to be in relationship with him forever. That's what the Bible is all about. I have been to conferences not that long ago, full of pastors in the room, where literally the main speaker speaking to all these pastors said, to define the gospel is very difficult and hard, and how do we do it? How can one define the gospel? And that was, his, that was the whole message. And I do not believe that that is what God has for his kids. We should be able to very clearly and very concisely be able to articulate to the world around us that is desperate and dying for truth and for clarity and for direction and purpose and design, and you should be able to clearly state what the gospel is. So hopefully that was, I'm going to give it to you over and over and over and over again, because I want you guys to be able to do that. Um, And you can tell that room full of pastors what the gospel is. (laughs) I was like, (gasps) I mean, okay. So to recap, re, re, excuse me, <laughs> recap broadly, like this big brushstroke, Israel, remember, rescued from slavery there in Egypt by the outstretched mighty hand of the Lord, signs and wonders that we are going to start to see again before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Get ready the lowercase g gods of this world, just like in Exodus, what was before will happen again. There is nothing new under the sun. These patterns and things that we are looking at will be for a picture for what's going to happen in the future events. And so just like what happened with Egypt and those gods that those Egyptians served came crumbling down before them, 
we're going to see happen. We're already starting to see it happen right now in our world. The Lord is toppling those lowercase g gods before he comes again in mighty, mighty acts. But we saw that. He saves them literally from slavery, from bondage after 400 years. Then they make a covenant with God, remember, at Mount Sinai. And then after the wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, the next generation led by Joshua, went into the promised land. Reminder, is the promised land heaven? Thank you. The promised land is for us now. That's right. I'm pointing down right now. That's right. Um, So we looked at that, and I want you guys to, to know that that promised land and that rest for you to enter into the life that Jesus said where it is literally abundant torrents of living water gushing forth from your innermost being is what the Lord wants for you now, presently, and in your generations now. So we looked at that in Joshua. They go into the promised land. Um, And then the children of Israel, listen, they were supposed to be faithful to the Lord and follow his commands. Remember those blessings and those cursings that were set before them. Choose this day. Who will you serve? And, um, you know, they all said, we will, you know, serve the Lord. And then we went into the book of Judges. You guys remember the book of Judges? Mm-hmm. And it told the story of how Israel royally blew it. Blew it. Not being obedient. Um, failing and, and literally falling into complete idolatry gross sin, turning away from God, um, uh, and, and really showing man's complete depravity. This is what it looks like when man governs himself and decides what is right in his own eyes. That, that, that is just read the book of Judges, and you can see um, that also being lived out in our day and age right now. Um, so he's doing it in his own eyes, what is right, what is wrong, apart from God. Um, who is the only one who can tell us actually what is good and what is evil for us, what is, what is right and what is wrong, um, and what brings us into life and what actually brings us into death. He is the author of life. Um, and it showed Israel, and they're just morally bankrupt. And, and the end result of that equation equals complete and abject chaos. I mean, utter chaos in the book of Judges. Um, so Israel needed wise, godly leaders. And then now enters Samuel. That's where we're at now, who is one of the main characters in this next two books. We've got First and Second Samuel. Um, and we're introduced also to this character named Saul. Did you guys do the reading this last week? Okay. It wasn't very, we didn't get too far. Um, so we did meet Saul in our reading. We're going to meet David in next week, uh, this next uh, section um, of scripture that we're reading These characters in this book of Samuel, they take us on a journey. And so, again, I want you guys to be able to get these big pictures and big scenes. Um, You know, we could really go into, like, the golden tumors that they make, the Philistines. You guys remember that story? That was in our reading. Weird. Like, who was, like, the model for that? Like, let's make a golden tumor. We'll put it in a golden rat, and they send it. If you didn't read, maybe now you want to, because we're not going to talk about that. We're going to do like big, 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 big picture here. But we're going to follow this journey to see the tribes of Israel 
um, ruled by judges, remember, in our book of Judges. Um, And really, Samuel is that last one that's going to bring us into the monarchy. Um, And you're going to follow these tribes that then, ruled by judges, ultimately become united um, in one kingdom, ruled by King David in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Um, Samuel is the key leader and prophet of the book, um, seen here, chapters 1 through 7. And Samuel also um, is the main character in the next section in Saul's story. And we see that Saul, we see his rise to power, um, and then we see his complete and total failure also. Um, But this is kind of what sets the stage and and the theme of the next, you know, uh, well, really, these two books. Um, and I love it because it's seen in um, really the very beginning of the book in Hannah's story. Do you guys remember Hannah's story? I mean, so the story um, be, begins um, here in the, the very beginning of the book of Judges. Uh, and you, you see her great heartbreak. You see her grief that then turns into complete and beautiful and total joy because our God is the only one who can take ashes, and he literally makes them beautiful. Um, So it's just incredible. But she's unable to bear a child. And by God and by his grace, he answers Hannah's prayer, and she has a son. And his name is Samuel. This is the the son that that God said, I'm going to open your womb. You will have a child. After she has been ridiculed by Panina. This is a great name for being, you know, a tormentor, Penina, because um, Penina had a lot of kids, and Hannah didn't have any, and um, the Lord heard her cry. He heard her prayer, um, and so now, full of joy, Hannah sings this song in chapter two, and that really sets the whole main theme of the lessons that are learned in Samuel, you know, the first book and the second book. Um, So um, I like that because, again, we want to guess you can go into all the details. I mean, for goodness sake, you can go into one word in Hebrew and find layers and layers and layers of meaning. But it's really good in studies like this to be able to get the big, big picture and the main storyline of what God is saying. So that's really what we're doing here. But But chapter 2 gives us the key. When you break down the poem that she sings in response to God answering her prayer and giving her this amazing, special, unique child, um, if you really look at it, this is the main point. I would write this down for, you know, notes that you're taking. It's all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. This is, this is the life lesson that we're going to see, you know, through these books, through the story of Saul, through the story even of David. It's for us to learn. God opposes the proud. He exalts the humble. Uh, you know, Penina was proud in this story, you know, ridiculing Hannah. And here in her humility, she cries out to God and he exalts and lifts her up so that she would actually have and give birth to the last great, you know, judge that would rule and literally usher and anoint David as king. Um, so this honor that God would give to her. So God opposes the proud, he exalts the humble. And it's also about God working out his plans and purposes of good despite man's evil. 
I mean, we saw that in the book of Ruth, right? We learned that Ruth was actually being lived out at the very beginning chapters that we saw of the book of Judges. And you remember the chaos and the sin and the just disgusting, deplorable acts that were happening at that time period. And yet God in his grace and God in his mercy who will not be stopped by man's unfaithfulness because he will remain faithful to what he has promised and what his purposes are to reconcile us back to him uh, that, that his love is greater still, he literally then totally authors the story of Ruth and brings in that whole picture of the kinsman redeemer that ultimately would have the child David down the line, and ultimately the Messiah would come through that line. Are you guys following me? Am I doing too many storylines? Are we good? Okay, cool. I'm learning too. So, okay, um, that picture though, and I think that's so important for us to understand and to know right now. There are so many people, this next generation, I know I have three teenagers, three. Wow. And um, so you, you see their friends, you see what's going on, and they're riddled with fear. I mean, you've never had a generation that has more anxiety and, and more, um, you know, uh, panic attacks and depression and all those things they said than this next generation. And what we need to know and what we need to see continually throughout God's story that we're walking through, God is working out his plans and his purposes of good despite man's evil, despite man's evil. Um, and you need to know that. That is going to be an anchor for you. That, that settles you. That grounds you to know that when it seems like all hell is breaking loose and talks of war and, you know, um, you know all those kinds of things. I mean, uh, the, what's the, the coronavirus or something? The, what, how do you I'm gonna say it right? I mean, oh, my goodness. And you can get into all, you know, the conspiracies and all. I mean, um, I don't even want to. Yeah, I'll just stop right there. That's enough. God is on the throne. He is working his purposes out despite the evil that you see. And you need to know this. And you need to be able to share it with people who need to hear the good news. It's also about how God will bring the Messiah, an anointed king for his people. So those are the three points and themes that we're kind of going to see that anchor these stories, but also anchor us. Um, we'll see this played out through our stories, and those are those major themes that are going to show up. And I want that just in the back of your mind. I've already given, I mean, you could probably leave now in the message. You've got the points. We'll go through the story, though. So, so Samuel is dedicated to the Lord as a child. Um, and in chapters uh, 4 through 7, we see he grows up. Um, to literally become a great leader, to become a prophet over God's people. Um, I wasn't going to share this, but I will, because it's a cool story, and sometimes we need testimony to, um, to build our faith. Uh, when, when Noah was little, um, uh, third grade, I think, is when we moved, so it was maybe like the end of second grade, um, we didn't know that we were going to be moving to France as missionaries. Um, when God gave us the call and revealed his plan to my family, it was shocking and new twist and happened really fast, like within nine months of him telling. It wasn't like this thing we were pining away for and praying and, you know, saw God moving us towards. It was like 
Shauna's the senior pastor of a church, and then within nine months, it was like, and now you're going to be in France, and you don't speak the language, and you're missionaries. And we were like, what? So, um, but what was so amazing is Noah, in Sunday school, had just heard the story about Samuel. Do you guys remember? He's there, in, in, you know, and he's, he's with the priest, Eli, and he's sleeping, and he hears his Samuel in the night. Remember that? Do you guys remember? And, you know, he goes to the priest. He's like, here I am. And it, 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 you see the, the drama play out, you know, uh, and it, the Lord is the one that was calling him. And Eli, um, you know, the word of the Lord had become rare in those days, it says. And, and um, so, you know, at this point, Eli starts going, oh, my gosh, this is the Lord that's calling you. And, and when he calls the next time, tell him, you know, speak for your servant hears. Well, Noah had actually just heard that story in Sunday school. And um, again, we don't know that we're going to be missionaries yet. And he literally hears in the night, Noah. <laughs> and he was like, he's looking around. And he, he heard his voice called again. And then he said, so then I just heard what, like, in Sunday school, the story of Samuel. So I said, speak for your servant hears. <laughs> and the Lord told him that he was going to be a missionary at that point. Now, me and Sean just hid that in our hearts. We said, no, that is incredible. That is amazing. That is Wow. And little did we know that later when the Lord, months and months, months later, when the Lord revealed to Sean and I that we were going to be missionaries, I said, oh my gosh, the one that I'm worried most about to tell is Noah because he's the oldest and we're ripping him away from family and friends. It's not like we've been preparing and planning for this. Um, What are we going to do? And the Lord reminds me, he's like, Annie, I told Noah first before I told you. He is already prepared. I was like, So when I got to tell, you know, the kids, I was like, and Noah, you have been honored first to literally hear from the Lord what the plans are for our entire family. So that's my little Samuel story. But to build your faith too, and he speaks to kids. He speaks to kids. Do not diminish. He speaks to children. Listen and learn. Hide these things. When they come to you and they say, I felt like the Lord and I this and I don't, don't pat them on the head. When they have dreams, when they have vision, when they have things that God puts in their heart, uh, cherish those things and say, we will be excited and we will wait to see what God wants to do with those things that he has shown you. Um, and, and then it's funny because now Noah will actually be coming home from being on mission uh, in Borneo um, in two weeks. So um, it continued to, to unfold and his story continues. But anyway, cool story, right? Is that worth telling? Okay, good. Um, so... Now, at the same time that, that Samuel is being raised up and becoming this, you know, known prophet and leader, like, yes, there is a man who hears from God again, who, who, who has that kind of relationship with him. At the very same time, the Philistines are gaining power, and they're becoming one of Israel's greatest enemies. The story goes on to tell um, of, of this battle, and this is what we wanted. There's three points that will keep coming back up. There is this picture of Israel, and they are arrogant at this point, and they bring to this battle 
go get the ark. And they go and they bring the ark of the Lord. Remember, the commandments are in the ark. It was where the presence of God would come and manifest. And they bring the ark out, um, uh, literally using it like it's um, a magic trinket. Like, we've got the ark, na-na-na-na-na, and they bring it out, you know, and they... Complete arrogance, complete pride, um, complete detachment of of any humility like we're talking about. Um, and, And literally, they were doing this to secure almost like a lucky charm, you know? And people do this in Christianity all the time. I mean, you guys don't even, I can't, I should really stay to my notes. I have too many, uh, you know, people will, will pray and they think that they're praying God's word and you watch it turn into witchcraft so easily in what they're praying and they start cursing people out of their mouth and things like this. They start saying things that the enemy would actually plan for someone or something. They use God like, if I did this and this and this, you owe me. Or it, I, I had a, um, you know, someone that I knew growing up, and she didn't have a relationship with the Lord, but she got really afraid of aliens at some point in her life, and she started putting, she would sleep with the Bible on her to protect her. And it's like, that, that, do you see? People do this all the time. You know, or I put this tattoo here, you know, of a verse or something or a cross, and it's going to protect me. Um, you know, weird, weird things come into uh, the, the believer's, you know, idea, and they start using God. There's formulas that they start using. You start walking in pride. You presume. You act in arrogance. You use God. You, you, you make those formulas, and the end result will only be your fall. That, that is the end result of that, um, <clears throat> which we see Israel loses in the battle against the Philistines. And the great tragedy is that the ark of the Lord is actually captured by the enemies of, of God's people. They literally take the ark of the covenant. And now the Philistines have captured the ark. And you know what they do? They go and they put the ark of the Lord where the presence of God would manifest to his people. And they put it in this tent along with their other lowercase g gods, demon gods, basically. And Dagon is there, um, if you guys remember that story. So, so um, literally, the, the next morning, God has the uh, idol of Dagon fallen, you know, face down at the, the, the foot, literally, of the ark of the Lord, as well as, um, you know, he defeats the Philistines by sending those plagues on them, which, you know, the, the hemorrhites and all sorts of lovely, lovely things. Um, no army required to defeat the Philistines. God did it all on his own. You know, so it wasn't God couldn't defeat the Philistines in that battle. It had nothing to do. It was all about the heart posture, right? Um, so the Philistines, after uh, suffering the plagues that the Lord brings, they send the ark back to the children of Israel because they're like, we don't want this anymore. Like, take it back. Um, so they, they send it back. God is not to be used in arrogance. He is not to be used in pride. He is not to be a trophy that you carry around um, and think that you can control and manipulate or use like a genie. Um, you know, bring in the ark, and then we're going to win the battle. And then the Philistines put the ark a- along with our idol, you know, and, and treating it like it was like almost like a trophy. 
Um, and both, both Israel, the Philistines also, in this story, teaches us that God opposes pride. He opposes pride. Um, he, he resists pride. Um, like Israel, we need to remain humble. We need to remain obedient. Um, so much even in the Bible study that we've been going through, if you've been with me, it's like to be humble, to be teachable, to let God be God. There's been times over and over again in the study that I'm doing with you guys that I'm going, I used to think that this is what this portion of scripture means, and that's how I taught it. And the Lord has showed me I was wrong. And my thought or my tradition of men or the doctrines that I thought, the Lord has corrected because I'm humbled by the living God and I am submitted to his word. So even in that way, do you, do you see what I, it's, it, I, I want to give you guys examples of, of what this humility um, looks like. But so it, it, it's continual. It's being o- obedient um, to, to him. Like Israel, we need to remain humble and obedient to experience God's covenant blessing. I went through that study with you guys about the cursings and the blessings and that they still stand to this day. The curse cannot land, it can't alight unless it has a cause. That's, you know, in the Proverbs, meaning if I'm walking in complete other direction of what God says is going to bring wholeness, sanity, health, abundant life, then I'm opening myself up to those cursings. Do you understand? There's a humility in saying, you know what will bring me health in life. And I don't. And it's continual. It's a relationship with him as he shows you, as he guides you. And talked about the Holy Spirit and that he is our teacher. He is our guide. And it's an ongoing thing as you're walking through the day. There's times when I have had to learn in humility, and the Lord goes, yes, you know how to answer that person, but I am telling you to be quiet and wait for this, this, this. So it's even when to say things that you know. It's when to give that, you know, uh, it's it's continual is what my point is that I'm trying to say to you. Because it's real easy to say, well, I wouldn't bring the Ark of the Lord out in front of the battle, and I don't use God like a trophy, and then you're prideful, and, you know, then you fall. So I got to teach guys, like, no, there's a lot more going on here in our walk and for us to understand. Um, Okay, so... Now, the people of God, they go to Samuel, and the story continues, and they say, we want a king like all the other people around us. They have kings. We want a king. And Samuel, the prophet, is upset but asks God what to do, and God says, give them a king. So we then are introduced to Saul. And Saul starts out with a lot of promise, you guys. I mean, he really starts out well. Um, He has a lot of potential, and he's even tall, and he's good-looking. So he's just all around, um, you know, it looks like it might go well. Um, But we see in his story what lies inside, and his character is actually exposed to us as you go through his actions. Because, you guys, it's not so much what you say, it's what you do that exposes who you are, how you think. And he's not honest. He lacks integrity, Um, and another character flaw um, that we see, and it's a real distinguishing mark between David and Saul, um, is that Saul won't acknowledge and own his mistakes. He won't say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Take note. 
Learn how to do that with your kids, with your husband, with your friends. With I was wrong. I'm sorry. Before the Lord, I am telling you, it's powerful, a distinguishing mark. Look, we'll get into it. David, if you know the story, he literally murders someone. He commits adultery. The, the, I mean, it, we, we've got some gnarly sins that go on in David's life. So what is the big difference? Someone might look at these stories on the surface and say, what did Saul do that was so wrong? You know, but I, that right there, acknowledging the, the Lord goes, I know that you're not perfect. That's why I'm sending my son to you. <laughs> you need the perfect one to come and, and live that perfect life for you, and then exchange, and then through sanctification will be will change from the inside out. But I know who you are, and it's not about you being perfect. Trust me, none, none are righteous, no, not one. It, it, but but the ability to say in humility, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I need you, I repent, I turn, and Saul wouldn't do that. And this will literally make his downfall. So he does win some battles. We come to his undoing. Um, he blatantly disobeys God. He disqualifies himself. He breaks God's commands in chapter 13 through 15. Samuel comes to Saul. He confronts him and he confronts Israel. He reminds them, I warned you. I warned you. Israel needs a king who is faithful and humble before God. And without this, Israel's king will only bring disaster. He'll bring ruin upon them. Saul is then told by the prophet Samuel, God is now going to raise up another king that would replace him. So we see the proud Saul is brought very low. You guys, um, we're, you know, wrapping up humility. I love this picture. And I saw you guys all like this this morning in prayer. Your heart's like soil. Uh, humility is the type of soil that the seed of faith can grow strong in. That the seed of faith, so humility, we want our hearts, our minds to be humble before the Lord so that seeds of faith might be able to take root and then actually find that good soil and bear that fruit that the Lord says are the fruits of righteousness and those fruits remain. They bring life. Um, godly character, um, uh, you know, everything that you're longing for. Humility creates the type of atmosphere where God is welcome to bless you as you sit before him with open hands, open hands for him to say, I'm going to take this from you when you don't understand, but it's actually good for you. It looks like this. I remember, you know, it, I, it was like some of the stories um, to be practical, uh, I didn't want to marry a pastor. I was like, I am not going to, you know, just all the things of, I wanted to be a missionary. I didn't want to be on the stage with the microphone and the Bible. The, no. And um, then I met Sean, and the Lord was like, that's the one. He wants to be a pastor. And he didn't want to go anywhere outside of the United States of America. He only spoke one language. I was like, the horror. And... Um, <laughs> I only spoke one, too, but my husband was going to speak five. And, um, you know, we were going to live all over and, you know, the huts of Africa and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember, you know, the Lord, he comes. And again, humility, like teachable. I don't know what I actually want. Do you know how many women miss their husbands? Like, you're like, he's right there. Well, now he doesn't fit the criteria. And they got their list. God goes, do you have any idea? It, 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 so 
I mean, huge. The, this, this humility thing, it's real, people. It's like, we, we want this. If you want to be blessed and you want to be raised up and you want to be used by God mightily, it starts with being a humble servant who is willing to submit to the master. Again, it's that thing of lordship. Um, you know, and it, it creeps in daily where you become Lord over your life, <laughs> over your kids, over your, how you think things should go. Um, pride um, is worship of self, self-idolatry. To be humble means to be rightly aligned with God. Um, pride is rooted in the belief that God is not God. And that's a simple definition, Pride. It, it bluntly stated and not, you know, this eloquent, fluffy definition is basically pride is saying God is not God. <laughs> and you make someone else God, idolatry, maybe another person, what they think about you, what they say about you, I don't know. Or, um, you know, you're God, I don't know. You and I do not live in a world that you and I created. Very simple. You do not live by yourself on your own. We go over this all the time. You can't even make your own heartbeat. God is doing that. Um, you uh, do not live in a world where God is absent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that he is not. Um, he is on the throne, ruling and reigning now. And the point that you and I want to hear is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and this verse, the truth, it, it starts with that word, God. So you're like, how do I start with this humility thing? It's so complicated. What do I do? No, it's not. If we want to be humble, start like the verse. We remember that everything starts with God. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. How do I be humble? God, start with God. God is God. You are not. What do you say about this? What do you want me to? How do you think about this? How should I vote about this, God? How do, what are you doing? What do I say to this? What do I not say? What do you think about this dream? What do you think about these feelings that I'm feeling every time I come around this person? The Lord is like, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. It's, it's this continual relationship and humility where you're talking and you're walking and you're thinking and you're in constant contact with him. And he's showing you. He's teaching you. He's guiding you. He's speaking to you. He tells you the words to say. He tells you how to think. I mean, honestly, it's amazing. Hmm. Humility is essential for receiving blessing from God. There is great reward given when we are humble. Pride brings a fall. So Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus is our ultimate example. If you want to be like Jesus, he told his disciples, take my yoke upon you. This is Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Even Jesus himself, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father speaking. Um, I mean, he's the perfect example. So to wrap the whole thing up, remember Hannah's song in chapter 2. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is working out his plans and purposes of good despite the evil that you see around you. Um, And ultimately, um, the Lord is unveiling um, our one true king, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, and, and that's in our story for Samuel, right? It's going to come through the lineage of David, and David's going to be a man after God's own heart. We're going to see some examples in him and all that kind of stuff. 
but ultimately it's leading to Jesus. But I would say that the Lord wants, if we are humble, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus to you today in your situation, like in your life with your kid or your health or your work, or he wants to give you answers. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you supernatural revelation. He wants to speak to you, and it's today. He wants to reveal Jesus to you today, ongoing, if you're humble. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray right now. Um, we confess um, uh, pride, um, Lord, and Oh, so much of the time that we um, we try to do it on our own. Um, we think that we got it. We understand. We know that um, this is reality. This is what will be best. This is truth. And we come humbly before you um, and ask, um, Lord, that you would open our eyes. You would show us places where there's pride, where we're we're walking apart from you um, and the reality of, of who you are um, and that truth that would actually set us free, um, walked out, lived out, and it's in relationship with you, dependency on you, acknowledgement of you, awareness of you, the whole idea that we're not alone, we're not supposed to figure it out by ourselves. We, we don't know what is good and what is evil and right and wrong and what will bring us life and what will bring us death. And you've showed us in your word, and then you fill us with your spirit. And Lord, we don't want to resist. We want to be those wise women, Lord, that you talk about in the word. We want to be the prepared bride of Christ for your coming without spot or wrinkle. We don't want to be immature Christians that look exactly like the rest of the world around us, riddled with fear and panic and disease and depression and all these things. We want to exemplify you, Jesus, living in that victorious life and your kingdom come, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven through us, participating with you. And we can't do any of that on our own. So any woman who feels like you have to do more and you are, you know, thoughts that the enemy is trying to plant, we just take that off and out right now in Jesus' name. It is in simply just receiving um, um, your spirit and your love that covers those multitudes of sin, saying we're wrong, being humble, I need, I want, and it's you. And then walking with you, learning of you, um, and, and it's beautiful, and it's exciting, and it's an adventure, and it's healing, and it's transformative. And so this is what we desire, Lord God. Do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.